Hey everyone, I am Phoebe and this is Gemma and this is Money Can't Buy You Class, a podcast podcast hovering on the intersection between reality television and critical theory. Um, and today there's there's a lot to talk about in the world of reality television, but most pressing is the final episode of the Super Bowl of uh Real Housewives um, universe, which was the final episode, episode four of the reunion. Yes, of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, Yeah, I mean, I almost just feel like we need to take like a collective, you know, we've made it. We made it through. What a month. It's been a month. It's been a full month. I really kept thinking about how it's been like, a full moon cycle of yes. of the reunion. Right. Uh, there are 20 episodes in the 24. season. 24. No, no, I know, but like 20. No, oh. there are 19 like plot heavy ones. And then there are four reunion ones. Right. Um, the reunion has become the focal point of the season. Yeah. You know, Definitely. it's become uh, the, the end is the most important, but mm-hmm. the end in reality television is always the middle because right. it always leads into the next season. But mm-hmm. I think that um, this reunion was different because it was not just about, or it was, well, it was not just about what had happened. It was also about things going on in the present with Erica's lawsuit. So it was fascinating to try to dissect like the difference in conversation between Erica talking about her life outside of the show and Erica talking about the way she had dealt with it in the show. And she Mm -hmm. kept making the argument, like you're mad at me because of my character in the show, but actually, but like rendering um, like whatever, like innocuous right her dealings outside of the show because she was trying to make it the another problem of you're just upset that I got really angry during the show not like you're upset that like possibly I have 20 million dollars from orphans and widows in my bank account I mean I think yeah I totally agree with you that it's like this weird end middle hybrid I mean I think the reunion is doing a lot with like timeline and like narrative structure, because what always strikes me about the reunions is that, you know, they happen a while after the season. And so, you know, it's this, it's, it's this opportunity to yes, be the middle and this bridge before the next season airs. And it's also this way for them to like go back and like rehash things. So it kind of exists in this weird liminal access to the past access to the future because they have to access the past to move forward because there's this idea that they have to get things out in the open and move forward so that we can start afresh the new season right like that's kind of the that's the model that we're working with yeah yeah to to go to go forward you have to look back right it's very unbiblical yeah. <laughs> yeah and i think that um Erica, you know, this finally for part, part four, they finally did give us like 
it was all Erica. It was like mm-hmm. all questioning her, which is like, I was glad they did that because, you know, we've been basically teased that the whole time. And, um, you know, I did feel some sense of like some sort of like satisfaction with it. You know, we all knew we were never going to get her being like, I did it. You know, like we all knew we were never going to get like her confession or like some actual information, but it did feel like her being on the hot seat so much kind of felt like we were getting something that we had been asking for all season. Yeah, no, I, I totally felt, I felt like that as well. I didn't think that it was a letdown. No, um, good. at all. And I, we were just talking about, or I was just, I was noticing how it at like, actually all the drama took place uh, in their faces. Like mm-hmm. the drama didn't take place in the words that were said, like a, like a show like Vanderpump rules or even like the architectural digest videos where like there's a weird surreal eerie uncanniness to to the language Mm -hmm. but I think especially because it was just back and forth between Erica and Andy the language was all preemptive right it was all rehearsed um but where you could really see what was going on was in like the strained expressions Mm -hmm. not only in Erica's face but also in like Andy's face and then in like the reaction listening faces of all the other women who were trying as hard as they could to assume just like a posture of almost invisibility. Like they weren't there, they weren't listening, they didn't react, but like behind their eyes, you can see so much. Yeah. I mean, Sutton didn't even react when Erica called her a a cunt. (laughs) She fucking cunt. Sutton was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Right. And um, well, one thing I wanted to think about too was this like, um, so you're talking about the reaction phases and, you know, that's like become a character in reality TV is like who has great reactions. Like The Bachelorette, like there was- Justin. He was Justin. great because he made like yeah. a lot of like very animated face and the audience loved it. They were like, because it's, it's almost like that's your- you're in like, like as the audience, you're sitting at home making a face. And then you're like, Oh, somebody on the show is there too. And I was listening to, um, a podcast today and they were talking about how Kyle has really like become like the reaction gif character. Like we rely on Kyle. Basically Kyle has been there since season one. She's making money and she's like, just react. She basically just stokes fires and then like makes really intense expressions. And like, we all rely on that from her, you know? So like Erica calls Sutton, like a bitchy fucking cunt. And then Sutton barely registers it. And Kyle's mouth like drops to the floor. You know, it's like there, it's kind of this, this role that's necessary. And that I think what you're talking about with the facial reactions is like, I think the reunion really solidifies the kind of roles of the cast, even in Mm. the way that they're, that it's situated, you know, like the whole idea of like, so in the reunions, it's Andy in the middle and it's two couches flanking him with three housewives or two or three housewives on either side. And um, they order it. Whoever's closest to Andy is basically like the star of the season. So like, if you're closest on the couch, you've had like the most drama, like you have the most to offer. So there, you know, it really does break down the hierarchy of like the, each character of the show. 
Yeah. And I'm even thinking about what we were talking about last week in terms of like Andy as this like parasitical or like science fiction-y host, Mm -hmm. like a host in that context and how the couches become like his arms, you know, like his like like appendages right yeah right and like it's it like even like medusa with like the snakes in her hair how like you want the people strongest to you closest as like a protection or something and i i don't know so that that's kind of interesting to just like get really dizzy thinking about like the housewives as like pores on the arms like the couch arms of alien andy um yeah or sorry go ahead I was also, so when you're talking about the phases and like the, like the kind of lack of, lack of language, the one thing I noticed, I think I agree with that there's like this kind of like, it was a very bare bones kind of language. It was just questions and answers. There wasn't a lot of like nuance, but Mm -hmm. what I did notice is that the language we were using was like a lot, like there was a lot of instances of like comparison, like comparative language and like, kind of like using like old seasons of the housewives or like they referenced other housewife stuff like a lot like at one point erica says if this was potomac it would have been a conversation if this was atlanta this would have been a conversation if this was new york it would have been a conversation and what she's saying is like it's only in beverly hills that like you know you guys have like a secret meeting because it's all she she and hush hush i don't really get what her point there but that was kind of interesting to me that she brought in that comparison and then lisa vanderpump was brought in was brought up because she, you know, famously did not show up for the reunion when she like, after she was like blasted all season. And uh, Erica's like, well, I showed up, Lisa didn't show up. And so I feel like we were like, I feel like it was this real process of like, I feel like it was very obvious that like Andy, the women and the audience really were like trying to understand what happened with Erica. And it was like this very intense trying to understand and so I think all the language around that was just kind of struck me that there was just all this kind of like comparative like intense like recollection and clarification and it was really it was like hardcore and like Erica by the end was just like in tears and I was like she must just be exhausted you know yeah right I mean the greatest part though like when you can just tell that it's it's just like this massive drama drama for who drama drama for their for their paychecks right but you can tell that it's like this massive drama when at the end Andy's like okay guys like we can calm down now like Kathy's butlers are here and they have martinis and everyone's like oh wow like we all like we love everyone like kiss kiss hug hug like Erica's like I'm sorry butler that I freaked out he's like oh no it is okay I still love you, beautiful lady, you know, in his French accent. Um, Like that dynamic was just like really eerie and confounding. Like that was probably my favorite part is when like they just like switched gears and everyone, Andy, it was almost like an apology. Andy was almost like, I'm so sorry to Erica. Like I needed to do this. The network needed this. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're all like drinking martinis and being served by Kathy's fantastic French butlers. And he's like French, I don't know. And it's so strange to see that type of wealth, like on a certain level, it's like totally amusing because I think that especially like we were talking about how the reunion 
is like the simulation of Kathy Hilton's backyard. So I think on a certain level, like it just seems like it's a storybook or like it's like Elsa and Frozen and Beauty of the Beast, like real, real live actor version. But in reality, it's like it's so not that it's like so dark. It's like when we all realize that like Jeffrey Epstein was at uh, like Sonia Morgan's like birthday party like kissing her on the cheek and that like Carol Radzewell is like and like Ramona or whatever like friends with Ghislaine Maxwell yeah you know so it's all like there's certain points that like really just smack you in the face and they're so charming and wonderful but right you know I think the darkness of these shows is like what people like are kind of interested in honestly but like I think that like this season was just really like marked with just these real major theatrics from Erica and Mm -hmm. she like really delivered on them. And, um, and I feel like this final reunion was like her cherry on top of her performance. And like, you know, you're talking about the facial, the face, like the ways her face was. And like, she also did this, like, she did this motion that I like had I had to write it down when she's talking about Tom's weird ass car accident that I still do not understand like (laughs) crashed a bridge on their property they have a bridge like what what do you mean a ravine you mean like a ditch it wasn't a ravine you don't have a river like what do you have a moat but like but the way that she like she tells a story and she's like being really intense right and then Crystal tries to interrupt and she's like no let me finish let me finish and then she's like and she, yeah, I don't, this is a podcast. You can't see my hand, but she basically like, she's telling this story and she's telling it with such bravado and like such theatrics. And then she basically goes like, and then she basically goes, he tumbled into, and then she goes like, she like motions her hand down, like to the floor, like in a very like theatrical, like blocking way, like where you're <laughs> like, okay, on that cue, hand to the floor. And she's right. like, into the ravine. And Kyle's like shaken and Kyle like has a tear in her eyes and you're like, Oh my God. I mean, standing ovation for this bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that I mean, it was, it was, me. well, my, one of my favorite motions that she had uh, was, was in her eyes. It was one, like Andy would ask a question, like, how often do you speak to Tom? Like, have you asked him if he actually did it? Oh my God. That was crazy. And she would, she like would look up lying and her eyes would literally shake. Like her eyes were like, cause she was like thinking so hard about how to answer it. Her eyes would start fluttering. She's like, I asked him, I asked him if he, I'm like, okay. I don't know though. I, to play into the, to just for a moment, assume the role of just a watcher and not a critical thinker. I, I'm not sure she knew about it. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, no, me neither. I don't think she knew. I I think that she now knows and isn't really playing it well and like doesn't have compassion because she's like kind of been like calloused by wealth. And I think she thinks she deserves a lot. And, but I don't think she knew about this. I gotta be honest. I think she might've been willfully blind, but I don't think she knew. Yeah. What does it mean to know or not know though? And how can you prove, you know, but that's the thing I was thinking about. It's like, is she complicit in the crime? Like, did she, did she know he was doing this? Right. No, I, right. But like, but what is that? 
Like, what does that mean? How can you prove if someone knew about something? Because from paperwork, it seems like she knew. Right. So, right? And it's, I, I don't know. I was just thinking about how it's like, is she knew or she didn't know? If she knows or if she knew, she's guilty of being complicit. But if yeah. she didn't know, she's she's innocent. Or if she didn't right. know, she can like uh, live her life in like a different. Well, I think it's life? I think it's about I think it's about reputation. Like I think the knowing and not knowing is about like, and it's about like the show. It's like is she like a literal? Was she part of these like pretty egregious financial crimes? Like, was she aware? Was she an actor in them? Or was she, it's like, it's like a character distinction. Or was she like a kept woman in a controlling relationship and just didn't really ask any questions. And like, it's like, it's interesting, right? That people like put a value judgment on that. Like, which one's better? Like, you know, I don't really know. Like, I don't really care, honestly. But like, you know, I think it's like, I think it's kind of like there was this desire this whole season that felt really misplaced, which was like to decide if she's good or bad. And it's like, that's not that simple of a binary. And like, she's bad. Like she's bad. Like, you know, she, she is reckless about her wealth and she's, you know, like it's not really about good and bad. And, and it's interesting that there's like this viewership that's like obsessed with being like, we want to hear about her, her feeling sad for the victims. It's like, do you housewives fans care about that? Like you're watching this Beverly Hills ratings this season were better ever. And then ever in history, like, like, you know, like people are watching because they want to hear about the bad stuff that she did. They don't really want her to be exonerated. Yeah. Right. But it's also then it's like, it's also, which is why I'm saying it's like this brilliant theatrical distinction or, or performance she's putting on because what she's doing is she's making the distinction between like what Tom did outside of the show and what I did on the show. Yeah. You know, where it's like, sure, she can be innocent. But then like on the other hand, it's like the bigger issue is if Tom did it or if he didn't do it. I feel like it's pretty obvious that Tom. I know did it like I don't understand how he couldn't have done it and that seems to also be like the main social crime of the show at least from like Sutton's perspective and Sutton who's like you know like the moral compass in a certain way of the show even though you know even though she had a very big racial faux pas at the beginning I love her and I did love her reunion look I must say I know, like the different eyeshadows. And then the, that was the weird. Earrings, the earrings on the shoulders, very chic. Yeah, she, you know, she's kind of like an ugly woman. And I kind of appreciate an, that. She has, this is terrible, but she has a very ugly body. She is like a, yeah. She no, has like stick weird. legs and like paunchy belly. She's, she's weird looking, but weird. Um, and she's like a weird woman. As she well. was a dancer. It's so weird to me. Okay, anyway, weird to me that she was a contemporary dancer, like in like in the art world. Like she worked for Merce Cunningham. I can't believe she was Merce Cunningham's studio manager. I know. I, well, I can't believe that. I think it like makes her make more sense because I feel like a lot of like older rich art world people look like her. 
yeah. and are like just as kooky and weird as she is. Because yeah. I think that she's actually very similar to like Kathy Hilton, except yeah. that like she's worked more in her life than Kathy Hilton has. Yeah. And I think that she's like been through more like legit trauma than Kathy Hilton. But she's definitely as cuckoo. Totally. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, as yeah. Bethany Frankel would say, <laughs> um, who also came up in this reunion because she is the one who told Andy and Kyle at Andy's birthday that uh, there is legal trouble with Erica. Yeah. She's the person who told them. Beth um, knows everything. She really does. Um, but she knew because of I- Dennis, because Dennis was a, in, in hot water financially. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that's why I always, I mean, every time I've been saying this, like, wealth is, like, literally a crime. I mean, didn't Dennis, like, kind of, like, didn't Dennis, like, I mean, he OD'd, but, like, do we know that he, like, did he kill himself because he was in debt or something? It was a dark death. Right. I mean, people, like, have, I feel like happy people or, like, people who are, like, I just love my life and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, no one's, like, people OD for reasons that are, like, Yes, it has to do with drugs and addiction, but I think that addiction also has to do with like more than liking drugs. You know what I mean? For reference, we're talking about Dennis, who was the late boyfriend of Bethany Frankel, who she was going to marry. And it was they had a sweet relationship and he was found dead from an overdose in Trump Tower the like month after the season finished. He was in a lot of debt. So we're saying that like it was probably a suicide that he wanted to frame as an OD to like perhaps garner more sympathy or and make her look better. Yeah, and we're and we're referencing it because on the reunion, um, Andy and Kyle had both said that they had previously heard that there was legal and financial troubles in the Girardi Keese law firm, and they had both heard it from Bethany Frankel, who knew it because through Dennis, her boy, her late boyfriend. So anyway, that's that little tidbit of history for you today yeah well they're all interconnected which is like and like self-aware right I mean I think too like the thing that and this kind of references it in a way like Erica Erica said at one point she said like she said you she said I wouldn't have come on a reality tv show if I was like committing these crimes And she was like, you know, you can't hide on these shows. She was like, you can't hide. And, you know, I don't know. I just felt like she put it so starkly like that. And like, I feel like so much of what, you know, even like this conversation about Bethany and Dennis, like so much of what these people are trying to do is hide who they are in plain sight. They're on a TV show where they're filmed like, you know, all day long. And yet they're still trying to hide something about themselves. And what Erica's saying is like, you can't hide. And what she's saying, you can't hide your like misdealings. And like, here's the thing is like, maybe you actually can't. Like, maybe she's right because we've seen that happen with Jen. So that happened with Teresa. You can't really be committing like actual crime and like not be found out if you're on TV because like, it just becomes more clear. So I don't know. I mean, I don't really know if there's anything. I feel like I'm kind of burning out about this reunion, but I just like, you know, I just thought that that kind of idea of like, you can't hide and like that they're all kind of are hiding. They are hiding and they are making stories and, you know. Yeah. I kept thinking also, and like, this is, this is kind of a tangent, but I kept thinking about like, um, like almost like experimental memoir, like mm-hmm. Proust, you know, La Recherche, but also like Joe Brainerd's I Remember. Oh, I love that I th- one. Right. I think that both, uh, 
I mean, they're masterpieces individually, but I, and I, they're extremely different. Um, and we won't get into their differences, but I think both of them are striving or like, or experimentally striving for like a totality of, of, of self-knowledge shared with, with others, you know, like Proust devotes like thousands of pages to trying as hard as he possibly can to, to remember every aspect of his childhood and youth in narrative form so as to like, you know, because he was on his deathbed, basically, he was on a sickbed when he was writing it, to like, I, I don't know, to narrativize it, to prove something, like, that's the big question. It's like, you remember it, the, uh, you it, it overwhelms you, and then you spill it out, mm. right? But I think that, but there's still so much that's lost once you choose a narrative path yeah. in the memoir, right? Because all of a sudden, the story is about, um, uh, you know, pr- the uh I'm, oh my god what's 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 the what's the girl's name in that it's like so famous i don't know why i'm forgetting it but all of a sudden it becomes about like the weird relationship that proust had between like himself and the girl and like it, it's like the narrative becomes kind of defined even by like the structure of of like the spires outside of his bedroom and i think that what's lost in a narrative or all the other possible narratives that could that it could have taken on yeah. And I think that like in Joe Brainerd's I remember, you know, it's that's like over 100 pages or about 100 pages of him going, I remember X, I remember X, I remember X. But there's still so much in between that even if you literally devote your narrative to only saying, I remember this, I remember that, everything else is left out. Like there's an infinite, infinite amount of selfhood that's left out, which right. is why I'm kind of like, it's, it's fascinating to think about reality television or Erica's claim, you can't hide anything in, in terms of that, mm. t- that type of thing, because it's mm. like, they obviously can hide the majority of their lives. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So a couple of things, love that connection that you just made. And you know, I remember is like a very moving book because of that for me, like for me, like I'm like, it's very, it's very moving. It like feels kind of painful because you can feel this grasp for and desperation to be. And he was also sick. I mean, it yes. was, you know, had AIDS anyway, keep going yeah, when he, when he right. wrote that. Yeah. And like, you know, like the kind of like the kind of like desperation or grasp or just kind of like practice of writing down things like I remember going through your memories and kind of cataloging them in this book to make a to make something that's about you but obviously when you read that kind of stuff you feel the absence so strongly because it's so simply written you know like there's since it's one line it's like literally what's between the line like you know that's the feeling that it evokes for me is this kind of like pain of like we can't really be known <laughs> like not to like go there but like it's hard to be known and i think what you're talking about with reality tv is interesting to me because i think there's this desire for viewers that we that they can't hide from us and that we do know everything about them and that's the whole performance of being a viewer of reality television is you're like well i know them like i'm their friend like and celebrity in general it's like but especially reality tv stars like you're like 
oh no, they can't hide from me. I know them really well. Like, and that, that's this whole Erica thing. All, there's all this questioning is like, also it's like hugely about the audience. Cause the audience is like, we need to know what you know. And like, we need to hear X, Y, and Z from you. You know, it, it's this kind of interesting role of like the audience, like wants to really, 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 really wants to believe that they know these people. Yeah. Right. And I think that it's in Nietzsche, in in the gay science, when he's writing about uh, theater, he's he says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, like, I'm not interested in in perfect, beautiful theater. I'm only interested in in when people kind of mess up on stage. Mm-hmm. Right. He's he's like, I'm interested in like the theatrics of of, of theatrics. Yeah. And I think that that's also something that we see a lot of or that we want a lot in reality television is like their mess up in their performance, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that kind of serves as this like uh, almost like adrenaline superlative function of knowing. Yeah. Right? Is when you you know someone's facade and then they break it even yeah. if it's only for a second and all of a sudden you feel more, I guess, interested or entwined. Right. The, the or slippage part of yeah. The slippage is where something real comes in. Right. And and I think that like in a certain way, we got that a little bit mm-hmm. in this reunion because it's exhausting and Andy was pushing Erica so hard. And I think we also were get like Crystal actually, I think her expressions um I was drawn to the most because she, um, I mean, she, she just like, she looked frightened. She looked sad. She looked angry. She looked loving. She looked very alone. She was very, and you know, she is, she was like every, like all the other ladies, she like very good posture. She sits up, the hands are on the lap, like you know, the backs are straight, the eyes are yeah. towards Andy, blah, blah, blah. But you could just see like behind her eyes, there was just like this insane, like explosion of like emotion and, right. you know, going that was on. her first reunion. Right. And it was just like kind of beautiful to see because usually they're all screaming at each other the whole time. So you don't like yeah. see their moments of silence. But I think that this time you really, and like Kathy's eyes were like vacant. She had no idea what was going on. Kathy putting on the lipstick, I'm like, yeah. This I know the lipstick. I mean, Rina looks smug. Yeah, that's a really good observation you made about this reunion. It it really was quiet. You know, it was mm-hmm. there was a lot of silence and listening. That you're right that we barely ever get in these reunions. You know, the trope of the Real Housewives reunions: everyone's screaming at each other, and Andy's trying to get a question in. And this, this is new. That's new though. That's new. This is a new development. You know, I'm curious to see if it'll happen on Salt Lake city the same way. Well, Jen, Jen's not Erica, you know, Jen's going to just like cry and scream and be insane. Right. Like she is going to get a, uh, like what is, uh, what's his name? What does Tom have? Like the incompetency (laughs) thing? Like Jen's going to be proven incompetent. Jen's going to be like, no, Jen's gonna prove she's gonna be like, sorry, I-, I am incompetent. I can't comment. Yeah. I oh, literally so- you can't believe anything that comes out of my mouth. I'm incompetent, Andy. So I don't know if we're ready to to pivot or if this is a pivot, but um, so I was listening to Bitch Sesh today and uh they were talking about how 
they talk like they talked to Andy and he said that um so it's not this next episode of Salt Lake so it's not su- this Sunday's but it's the Sunday after and he said it is in his opinion from him from the king himself the best episode of Real Housewives he's ever seen in his life I mean we'll see about that scary island what does that mean I think it means that he wants people to watch his new show. No, I know, but like, we'll see what it means. But I love that idea that like, we haven't even gotten there. I feel like we've seen some freaking psycho episodes of Real Housewives. I mean, that's no, it's an incredible show. I mean, like New York and its heyday was like, you drool, you foam at the mouth by how just like, how you can't turn away or it's like fucking you know people are addicted to squid game and shit new york is just so good remember jill that first reunion that first reunion when andy is like so jill some people call you a connector i call you a yenta <laughs> and she's like there's no difference there's no difference andy no difference zarin is one of the best we've ever had in Jill our lives Zarin. and r.i.p to bobby zarin forever bobby <laughs> bobby was beloved bobby zarin. <laughs> no. also i'm glad jill's daughter forgave her after sending her to fucking fat camp on camera jesus christ oh my god that dot the daughter my daughter my beloved daughter so yeah so this idea of like real house of like salt lake city being like the net like the best we've ever seen coming out like the best episode ever so i was listening to um a comedian and podcaster today ray sani and she has a podcast that she's just started um where she's doing patreon episodes of she's recapping iconic episodes of the housewives so she's doing like the season one New Jersey finale where Teresa flips the table and says, prostitute whore, 19 engagements. <laughs> and um, I'm sure she'll do the Aviva dress your leg. Oh my but, you God. Know, so, Take but there's so. Take Xanax, calm down. The- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that that's like a whole thing about the housewives that like we now are understanding as an audience that like there are every once in a while, there's an iconic episode that you cannot ever get again. And we, we need more of that because that's actually what the franchise, the whole idea is built on. It's like, it's like the scary islands, the table flips, the leg throws, the like Atlanta ones where like, like there's, there's just certain episodes where you're like, now that's what housewives is all about. Yeah. Okay. So should we, should we circle back? Should we circle back to our, our main job? So SLC um, has been weird. I, I actually, there, so there's something, there, there are a couple things that stood out to me, but you can choose what we talk about. One is like Lisa Barlow is like, or, like she's such an idiot. She's like orchestrating all of these scenarios that have become like very obvious Mm-hmm. you're talking about wait talk ex, okay explain the thing about the guy the church guy because then i have something do you know he died he's dead he's dead he's dead and no one knows why oh my god okay let's rewind a little bit this is what happened phoebe tell the story about what happened on this week's episode of salt lake city oh my god okay so Lisa Barlow 
is like the so like she is the self-rendered queen of salt lake city but she's like she's like a jew from new york who converted to mormonism so like she's so weird in, she's an insane woman um okay so there's that she throws this party for her two young children like 16 year old and like nine year old who have no hair on their bodies to speak of one of them is literally bald but they've started a men's grooming company somehow so she fresh wolf (laughs) fresh wolf okay so like that's also just like so we could talk for hours about like fret like what is that i think we should try a fresh wolf product oh my god no we i i sometimes i like put them in my instagram story um Oh my god, yes. Sponsored this this podcast is sponsored by Fresh Wolf. <laughs> anyway, so there's a party for for uh, Fresh Wolf and uh Lisa Barlow only invites M- Meredith and Whitney. Whitney yeah. gets like the stomach flu, so Meredith Meredith shows up. Um Meredith is talking to Lisa when this man comes up in like a very robotic way like obviously planned like it's just like awkward he's like yeah he's like uh well hey ladies excuse me can i uh say goodbye to you now like no like kind of like putting his bot like blocking himself towards the camera he's like oh this is what's his name like carson like he he was he knows mary and then Lisa's like, okay, I got to go. Meredith loves Mary. She's like, she's I like, have Bye. a photo op. I have a photo op. But like, you guys just chat. I'll be right back. So then Meredith is like, oh, like, how do you know Mary? And this guy's like, oh, Mary, you ask? How do I know her? I was part of her church, but she's dangerous. And Meredith is like, what do you mean? She's my friend. And he's like, she's dangerous. I got to go. I have foster children. He's like, be careful. And then like books it. Yeah, be careful. Yes. It's like so ominous. And then Meredith confronts Lisa and she is like, what do you mean? And Lisa's like, oh yeah, I used to be a preacher there. And Meredith is like, what the fuck? I'm like, now all of a sudden I have no idea what's going on because like the big thing is that like um, the the Mary's church is like a cult or she's like a cult leader or some. It's just like, it's it's so insane. But I didn't know that, but apparently this guy died. Yeah, okay. I just heard that today. So that's insane. So, so right. So there's all these things flying about besides the Jen thing, the kind of B plot drama is that Mary's Pentecostal church, which is the same church that her grandmother like gave to her as well as the grandfather. It's all this weird shit. Okay. It's like, it's also about money. I think she's probably stealing money from her congregation. Well, that, that's, like, that's, that's, that's the other big allegation is that like, yeah. she shames them into giving her more money so she can, and then she uses it for like her own stuff. Right. Um, also, let's just like take a moment. Like, do we think this woman is dangerous? Her tagline is, if you come for me, I will send Jesus after you. I feel like Jesus is just like the name of like the her personal like uh, like a uh, killer. You know what I mean? Like Jesus is like an actual person that she's like, hey, Jesus, like go yes. get this guy. So I don't want to like make it more than it is. We should probably do some sleuthing. But this man who just appeared. Okay, I'm I'm talking Sunday appeared on the show whistleblowing the shit out of Mary. Oh, he's dead now. Dead. 
you know, we're, we are in the age of pandemic. Maybe it was COVID, but maybe he was killed. Okay. Wait, maybe. Did they say that it was COVID or, or people? No, they, there's no cause of it. They don't, they haven't released the cause of death. Oh, so it can't really be COVID because there would probably be like a hospital record. That is very similar to what happened actually at the end of season two. This is season two of Salt Lake City. At the end of season two of Beverly Hills, when Taylor's husband, who all season, like the big thing was like Taylor, uh, Russell, Taylor's husband was like beating her up really bad. Definitely was. He, oh, yeah, completely. And like she, that was the darkest season of TV I've ever watched. That was about. really, really bad. But then at the end of the reunion, it turns out she's like, Russell is dead. Russell, she says Russell hung himself, mm-hmm. which everyone is like, oh shit, like that's horrible. Like, okay, like why does someone kill themselves? Maybe he was embarrassed. That debt, also a debt. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. So at, at first, you're like, oh shit, like he hung himself because it came out that he beats up his wife and like that's horrible. He couldn't live with himself. He killed himself. But then it comes out, not only was he in debt, but his, um, his, his, his colleague had also killed himself within a week in the same exact way. And it also turns out that Taylor, a week before Russell died, this like business associate of Russell had come to her house and been like, you need to sign this document. This document says that even if Russell dies and you guys are divorced, we will still be able to collect the money he owes us, even if he owes us or doesn't. It was like this weird ominous thing where she basically signed this thing that was like, even if Russell dies, um, she would owe debt if he had any debt. And then a week later, he like, hangs himself even though they were like getting divorced and like separated it was very strange and then his like his other associate also hung himself in his office so it's like it's like pretty mafia related and you know they were always throwing those lavish parties and you know it's like money flow where they have to get the money then spend it all in cash and like so so you don't have it just like hanging around in your bank account right um so I, I don't know so it's like another like weird um another like weird um yeah death that happens again like what does what does the show do to the public lives of these people like how is the show embroiled in like actually fucking with like the lives and deaths of of people who like show their faces too much you know what i mean so cameron williams was the past former pastor for mary cosby and he warned Meredith that Mary's church isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Unfortunately, Cameron passed away earlier this year before the episode aired. Okay, so he died another time, but still weird. Well, what did he die from? Didn't say. Well, I mean, obviously, like if passed away on June 3rd. That's weird. I mean, death is uh, death is difficult to turn into a narrative for i mean it's like death is like the most it ha- you know, happens to everyone right it's probably right. the 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 most the uh, the thing that is like the biggest part of reality in a certain way but it's you know it's, it's not showed on on the reality television because 
you know, because reality television is not about like actual reality. It's not about like the, the cause of death. I think that they also, I mean, those producers also, it's like a weird job for producers or cinematographers or the camera people. Right. Because like, Mm -hmm. they're also like totally entrenched in these people's lives. Like they, they they're filming this, like they're, they go into the homes of Russell and Cameron and, and, and all these different people and uh, Teresa, like, you know, uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of like, you know, um, what's it called when uh, the the NDAs, like there are obviously a lot of NDAs and like, legal protections, but it's also like, you can only go so far into like save yourself from the implication, which is, I think that is, is also kind of, even that like can tie back to the Erica Jane, where it's just yeah. like, th- a lot of the crime, again, it's like the social crime of implication. And sudden is like, I didn't do anything, but I don't want to be implicated. I don't want my name to show up in your article. I don't want my reputation to be ruined, which is also when it comes down to what Erica's saying. Erica's like, I don't want to be implicated. I didn't know. And if I didn't know, like, why are you blaming me? Why are you tarnishing my reputation? It's the Mm -hmm. same issue that they're having. It's not even about, like, they don't really care if Tom did it or not, they just don't, they're, but they're like, if he did it or if he didn't do it, that's why they like, they just use the word alleged. Yeah. Right. Because they're like, I don't know. Their whole point is like, is, is, is ignorance, which again, which I think that like to take it even like further or whatever, it's such a condition of the woman, right? It's such a condition of the woman is to be ignorant. You're talking about the butler it's the antiquated relationship and then you also have like the antiquated relationship like one between erica and tom where he's like this big la lawyer like very like la noir movie right like you have the spencer tracy then you have like the young 30 years younger 40 years younger young wife who's so stupid and knows nothing it's like the daisy in in great gatsby it's it's just so old what they're doing these shows obviously adhere to those very uh, kind of traditional or like, yeah, old, old notions of like character and uh, like narrative in a lot of ways. Yeah. And just so, and another thing with this shows is, and I think that maybe this is even like a condition now that we're like all caught up, right? Is uh, not binge watching them and like watching them like week by week is they, they get very dark when you watch them week by week because yeah. well I I don't I don't actually don't quite know why but I just want to quickly just like bring up Vanderpump Rules because yeah because like speaking of crime and and you know speaking of like thing narratives which dig deeper than like the social mishap or like the social misanthropy. It is something very strange came up, which is Raquel gets a nose job. But she's like, I got a nose, I got a botched nose job. She tells Lisa. And Lisa, because, you know, Lisa's had a whole facial reconstruction, whatever, is like, okay, come see my doctor in Beverly Hills. I have the best nose job doctor. And then it like cuts to uh, Raquel and James who are dating. It cuts to them and James is like, Raquel, you know, what are you going to say about your nose? And she's like, I'm going to have to bring up what happened. And he's like, don't say it. And she's like, I'm going to bring up that you accidentally bumped my nose when you were leaning in for a kiss. 
bumped it hard enough to fucking askew that shit. To like, to like really make it. Like there's a, they show a close up of her face. I mean, this is. Like gosh, it's no not. A- you would not pay for this nose job surgery. Like one, her bridge of her nose is going to the right and the tip is going to the left. Yeah. So, I mean, what it's, and then James says, if you sell, if you say that to a doctor, they're going to think I hit you. And then you're like, well, he doesn't say hit, but he implies that. But yeah. Right. But, but then it just like, I don't know. Like for me, it just like kind of becomes obvious that like he did hit her. Yeah. He has anger issues. Like we yeah. all know that he, he, you know, he spit on Kristen's wall. He's, he's very mean. He has horrible parents. He takes out his anger in insult but it also seems like it could get physical he's obsessed with Raquel's own physicality right and it's just like I mean I don't know I've never had a nose job but it's like I've been in a relationship where it's like if I were to get a nose job like you know not to do certain things with your nose like it's you know, or it's like a weird sexual thing where he was like, you need to give me a blowjob right now. And then she like somehow like. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was like he went in too hard for a kiss. Like no one's buying that. Like that sounds like that's not, that ain't gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like he either hit yeah. her or it was something like sexual that happened, which like obviously she probably right. wouldn't have consented to because why would you consent to right. doing a sexual act that would like put your new like multiple thousand dollar nose in jeopardy? Well, the other thing that happened like extra socially with the drama is um, Sheena's uh, baby daddy, Brock Davies, um, has admitted to Lala because he's an idiot that he has a his ex-wife who he was married to very young, got a restraining order against him because he doesn't see his he has two other children that he hasn't seen because he like slapped her in a fight, um, you know, years ago. Um, and Lala just runs with that information. And ironically, the extra, extra social element of this is that Randall, Lala's, uh, fiance and baby daddy is being slammed, um, for not like paying his child support and for being like a negligent, he's a gambling addict. Um, I think it's the subject. Obviously, obviously. Yeah, Sam actually knows about him through like LA poker stuff. Um, well, that's who's on the Kardashians at their big poker thing. Yeah, he's like a, he's like playing poker all around town. But um, but that's happening at the same time that Lala is like, it's airing. The show is airing where Lala's like going after Brock for not being like a responsible father, and I'm like, that's gotta hurt. Like. You know, like, it's like, that's kind of when these shows, like, that's, that's always fun when like the element of like socialness, like on the show gets amplified by like what's happening in real life. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait I for feel the bad reunion for Lala, though, because they're breaking up. Yeah. Well, it's just so, it's just so sad. It's so sad to like watch that's, I think that's actually one of the reasons why it's like sad to watch the shows as they're airing because yeah. like these people's lives move so quickly because they're just like constantly entrenched in like superficiality and there's never anything real right. about their, it's not just not, nothing's real about the show, but it's like nothing's real about their lives. Yeah. Right. It's all fantasy. It's all speculation that like it, the relationships barely last as long as the season of television does. So mm. to watch the season of television as like a form of entertainment while also like reading 
on Twitter and tabloids or whatever, like seeing on their literal Instagrams, like what's going on with them at the time that the shows are airing. It's like a completely, it's like the diametrical opposite to quote Dorit. Um, (laughs) You know, incessant diametrical opposite. I know, but it's like, it's, it's just so sad because you just realize that like the longevity that they crave or like the, the health, the love that they crave. It's just like, it's, it's, gone it's not possible for them I was feeling I was feeling pain for the Vanderpump Rules cast this week you know like I was feeling sad for Sheena like I mean she seems like she's in love with Brock and like whatever you know I don't really whatever their relationship is what it is but like Sheena has wanted to be a part of a family and be safe and secure for so long and you know we watched her like not know that uh her boyfriend had a um pill addiction we you know or and Shay we watched her be so we watched her be engaged and married married to Shay and get divorced because he has a he was an addict we watched her think she was in love with that guy Rob you know like she's been craving partnership and a family for so long and you know I think for Lala to kind of throw this out there and make people doubt her. And she says, she's like, my track record doesn't make this look very good. She's like, you know, yet again, she must sound like a weird guy, like to like hitch her wagon to. And then I'm also feeling a lot of pain for Katie Maloney. You know, I, you know, she's going through it. Like, I really hope she does have a baby. Yeah. I was thinking that now it's like the perfect time for like Lala to transition to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, she probably would. That's kind of her, what she's, that's kind of where her aim, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, Stassi was always aiming for that. Right. But like Stassi is not going to do that because she's like getting married to Bo, who's like, you know, perfectly well off financially, but like by no means a multimillionaire. But um, art school. <laughs> yeah, you went to art school. Um, but, you know, actually like Lala is someone whose past almost like mimics the past of like a good amount of like Erica, for example, who was like yeah. dabbling in like sex work, right, um, mm-hmm. was a hostess. I mean, she, Lala met Randall at Sir because she sat at his table and Erica met Tom because she was a host and sat him at his table. So, you know, I think that you can actually like, it's, it's Lala is a very, maybe you should have an episode like devoted to Lala because she's a very fascinating character and she's from Salt Lake city. Let's read her book. Oh yeah. We should totally read her book. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm actually, I'm getting a little bit of a headache. I feel like I've feel like I've really, I've really thought through this reunion in a, and I really crunched it up, man. I, really thought about it um I just get sad I think I just like what I feel is like I feel like sad and defeated because it's like there's so much plot that goes on that I am I feel like completely overwhelmed or blindsided by like the trivialities of these people's lives that like I truly like I don't care about them like I care about the show I don't know I just like I get really sad when they're all happening in real time. Well, there's no more reunion. We're reunioned out. Now it's time to focus on SLC. Other shit. Why this man it's died. Time it's time to focus on Jen Shaw true crime story. Um, Alrighty. Well, you know, thank you, our dear listeners. We love you so much. We love each yes. and every one of you. 
individually for your own unique qualities and sensibilities. You're all very special snowflakes. You are. And I'm working on being cool on Instagram. So just like bear with me. Okay. Um, Follow us. You don't need to work on it. At money can't buy you class underscore pod. And also I haven't said this in a while. Um, You know, like comment, subscribe, rate five stars. Yeah. Rate us on Spotify. I mean, four stars if you're going to be a bitch, but like five stars, come on. We work hard. We're just people like you. We're just two young women hanging inside watching TV, watching TV. We have something to say about it. If any of you ever want to come on our podcast, just DM us. We'll probably say yes. There's like a 90. We go to the same parties. I've probably asked you to be on it. (laughs) I asked not I asked probably no less than five people to come on the podcast at a Halloween party this weekend. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we're going to try to get some more guests on. going to, you know, keep delivering you the hot, hot content. Yeah. Hot, steamy content right off the burner. Right <laughs> off the burner. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class. Elegance is learned, my friends. Elegance is learned, oh yeah. Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class. Elegance is learned, my friends. Elegance is learned. To hold the door when I give them so much more than they can imagine. Money rich and manners poor never got the boys too far. Money talks, but I just walk when I can't stand it. And the primary mistake texting on a date. If you make a lady wait, she'll take a pass. The lesson all should learn, even if there's cash to burn. Respect yourself, cause no one else can change your path. Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned My friends Elegance is learned Oh yeah Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned My friends Elegance is learned Forget to allow the men you've met to exemplify their very best behavior. When entering a room, greet everyone, and soon you'll be invited and entitled to the grandeur. Your company should feel when a conversation's real, even if the topic feels like science class. You can tell where someone's been without even asking him. He's either rude or has some style and panache. Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned My friends Elegance is learned Oh yeah Life is all about elegance and flair And savoir-faire You don't have to be rich or famous to be unforgettable Ha <laughs> ha 
It's not about where you're from, it's about what you've learned. Money can't buy your class.